Welcome to Thinking Ahead. I'm your host, Carter Phipps, and we're exploring the movements, trends, people, and ideas that are shaping our evolving world. Make sure you subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform, and most of all, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Mariana Bozasan, author of Integral Investing from Profit to Prosperity, has lived her life in several distinct worlds, from painful poverty in communist Romania as a child, where the basics of life, like food, could not be taken for granted, to the technological optimism of Silicon Valley and Stanford, where she went to school, to the progressive business world of Germany and Europe, where she found so much success as an entrepreneur and investor. Perhaps it is that unique background and global experience that has led her to develop such a forward-looking perspective on business and investing, but also on life. In this episode of the podcast, I explore with this unique businesswoman and entrepreneur the world of investment, technology, business, culture, and even spirituality. Dr. Bozeson's work and financial resources have allowed her to create the investment group Aqua Capital named after the philosophical model of integral theorist Ken Wilbur, the aqua part, who is also one of her personal heroes. It is a model that she feels integrates the best of traditional investing with impact investing. Now, she is an optimist, and her success speaks for itself. But I was particularly impressed with her commitment and passion, and also her willingness to explore with me a lot of different areas in what ended up being a robust, uh, far-ranging dialogue. What future areas of innovation are giving her the most hope? What can Germany learn from the U.S.? And what can the U.S. learn from Germany? Can the challenge of climate be addressed with new technologies? What spiritual practice does she use to help her revitalize herself and deepen and awaken her own inner universe? We explore all of this and more in this stimulating dialogue about how to build a truly abundant future out of the raw material of a difficult present. Let's welcome... Mariana Bozasan to Thinking Ahead. Mariana Bozasan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. We've been planning this for a while, so I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Carter, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So, so the book that at least partially inspired this podcast is a book that you wrote, and I believe it came out last year, if I'm if I'm correct. Uh, it's called integral investing. And that's what you do. That's your day job. Uh, you're an investor uh, based in Germany. And uh, so just let's start with talking about the book itself. What inspired you to write the book? Uh, what were you trying to communicate? And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about the, the thesis of, of the book. The book was inspired by the fact that I am also a member of the International Club of Rome. And uh, for those who haven't heard of the Club of Rome, uh, we <clears throat> were the first organization that uh, more than 50 years ago uh, warned, based on simulations um, done by MIT, warned the world about the dangers of, um, of climate change. 
And uh, so the entire message of the Club of Rome over the past 50 years was to bring that awareness into people's minds and make sure that um, the global governments, organizations, cultures, societies begin to open up and address the threats that are associated with global warming that are raising from CO2 emissions due to industrial activities on the planet, but also um, usage of um, um, earth resources and so on. So our economic activities are not sustainable. And uh, as a member of the International Club of Rome, I was uh, called for uh, responding to the one-sided direction of the Club of Rome that did not include additional aspects of life and focused only on climate change and climate change only, which of course it's extremely important, but Mm -hmm. when we want to address, if we want to address these issues, we need to bring economy, business, uh, financing, Mm -hmm. and most of all mindset, mind shift and higher levels of consciousness into the conversation. So because of my education in as a artificial intelligence expert, I studied that um, long time ago in the early right. 80s. Yeah. And um, because I'm I've been I am an investor in and a serial entrepreneur in high tech, I saw the need and the fact that I'm I've been meditating for the past uh, 40 years, I yeah. saw the need of bringing these aspects into the conversation in order to facilitate and accelerate the developments that are uh, need to occur. And uh, so that was the original um, impetus. impetus. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, And, and, but the integral and integral investing is, is, uh, is not just meaning, you know, integrating different aspects, you know, different things. Uh, it, it comes a little bit out of the, the work that you and I are both interested in, which is integral philosophy. And some of the listeners will know that, some won't, and that's fine. But, uh, and I know that you've been a student of integral philosophy and studying it. And, and, and I know that you're, you, you know, you have pretty good connections with Kim Wilbur, who's, who's, uh, one of the inspirations for that philosophy. Um, yeah, so t- tell tell me about like how how did you come to this way of thinking? Because that's not something that comes from the Club of Rome or cause it comes out of normal environmental stuff. That's a whole different thing. And so you've brought that dimension to the table here and how you think about investing. So tell me a little bit about how that inspired your work. Well, gratefully, <clears throat> I'm very grateful to Ken for um, being a, a huge supporter uh, of my work ever since I first uh, came across his work and I got introduced. Uh, mm-hmm. To him, <clears throat> and uh, you wrote the forward to uh, to this right. book. Right, you wrote the forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, like uh, like him, you know, we all need um, the su- to support each other in this endeavor. So, how did I come across um, Integral? Well, I have been familiar with the work of Aurobindo, who um, you know is uh, you know he basically put Integral on the map from a spiritual perspective. So Sri Aurobindo was your initial entrance into this? Into the word, the, the, the way, of, yeah, integral spirituality, absolutely. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. 
Uh, I mean, for listeners, I'm sure Aurobindo is an Indian saint and mystic of the early 20th century, who was one of the first ones to use the term integral. His path was called integral yoga. But and he's a you know beautiful writer and thinker and mystic uh, you know who I has been an inspiration for me. But that's interesting. I didn't know it was it was that's how that's how you came that's part of the way you came to this. Yes, because I I when I, I maybe I need to back up a little bit because I was born and raised in communist Romania, so I grew up mm-hmm. as an atheist and right. uh, in uh, in communist Romania and it was uh, required. <laughs> Sorry, I know it was required. Well, but, but it was more common. It was common, right? It's um, well as um, as with evolution in general, people tend to throw the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. So when uh, when the idea of communism, Marxism, and uh, you know, I need to preface this, I am, I I I still am a great believer in uh, the theory of Marxism and equality, oh, no. which of course is what the green movement is basically doing. We, uh, and, we can argue about that later. And not what uh, what actually people manage to implement. So the philosophy, the idea, I'm I'm still a great uh, yeah. um, you know believer in the philosophy, and which is uh, you know the basic income. That's nothing else but that. So those of us who have been educated in this field know exactly. We see it happen through technology. Actually, the demilitarization, monetization, democratization yeah. of technology basically does nothing else but uh, bring that to the table. Makes it access to wealth and abundance uh, to everyone possible. So that's the preface. Um, and, uh, of course, if you, uh, come from the evolution uh, that took place back in, you know, when communism, you know, or Marx was, uh, you know, at the end of the 19th century, uh, sure. walked on this planet that was basically against the, the, uh, society being, uh, exploited by religion amongst others, but also capitalism right. in, in the worst yeah. form. And so, of course, when you are confronted with ideas of equality and Marxism, and I, I know that people don't have the proper associations um, to those, then you see that religion, as uh, and Lenin said, is opium for the masses because it blinds sure. yeah. you. So, and of course, the first thing that you throw overboard is that blindness, trying to be to see more, which, of course, is uh, as a scientist, that's exactly how I did. But mm-hmm. coming into, at age 16, my parents and I emigrated to uh, Germany because my mother was German. So we were allowed to, uh, you know, uh, get the German citizenship. And all of a sudden I saw that, oh, my God, this uh, uh, communist indoctrination that uh, ultimately mm-hmm. it was, was only yeah. uh, blinding me from uh, other realities. Now we are blinded by capitalist indoctrination which is the other thing but anyway so all of a sudden i saw that something was really wrong in both pictures and so i decided back then to never ever join any political body nor a religious body because i knew that I, that would blind me mm-hmm. so in um but i then uh, began studying computer science and uh, it was very very stressful and i i get um, i got ulcers because of the stress. Right. And that was in the 1980. Interesting. <laughs> and right. uh, I needed uh, to find ways to cope with the stress. And of course, for the first time in my life, I uh, discovered uh, uh, 
autogenous training, you know, on how the mind influences the body of what a novel thought, and uh, which I never thought of. So I was spiritually deprived. That's how I discovered that I was spiritually deprived. I didn't have mm -hmm. access to any of uh, anything else that goes beyond the mind, uh, mm -hmm. the thinking. And that's mm -hmm. how I came across meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up uh, becoming a um, closet mystic for decades, for two decades. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, studied many, many. Uh, I read books. Um, I'm a book rat, as we call it in German, and uh, tried to get access um, without um, being attacked by the scientific community to which I belonged. So, mm -hmm. uh, And um, that's how I came across, uh, of course, um, in 1984. I became a student, an exchange student at Stanford University, and I came across uh, Esalen. And, of course, mm -hmm. Michael Murphy is a student of Aurobindo, and this is how mm -hmm. I eventually ended up oh, right. studying the works. And I went, uh, there is a, a house in, in San Francisco that... Um, where there is a center and so on. So that's, that's, yeah. uh, but to finish the answer, it was only when I was introduced by Tony Roberts, of all people, to the work <laughs> of Ken Wilber. That's hilarious. That uh, I finally, as a scientist, came across a model that really presented me uh, a, an extraordinary way to integrate all of the life. Um, not only business and investing in science and biology and spirituality and culture, and I, I'm a historian as well, in one place. And so that's why for me, Wilbur is, is it probably will remain for the rest of my life, uh, the best integral theory ever. Mm. And that has informed your investing. It sounds like as well. Everything, not just investing. Yeah. Uh, well, just to sure. make it clear, investing for me is everybody is an investor. Mm -hmm. One one of the things I love about investing is there's. I mean, I know that you can look at it in a narrow way, but there's very few things in life, and this is why I was I studied economics, you know, and why I've always loved economics is because I, you know, I feel like. Well, a, I think a lot of the intellectual class has a in a, um, has a uh, inadequate understanding of economics, or you know, or dismisses it, or doesn't want to deal with it. That's one thing. But but economics is one of these things where you feel like you get you get underneath the way the world works in a lot of ways, and what you know, and 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 there's something about investing that is is there's very few other activities that force you to think integrally and comprehensively, you know, about the world, you know, because you have to include so much. I mean, politics is a little bit like that too, I guess, but politics has got so many other issues. Um, but it kind of forces you to be a generalist, you know, it forces you to think because you have to and think about all these things that are influencing the world and, and all the undercurrents and all the various. So I, you know, I, I love the way that investing sort of, you know, it pushes you. And if you read great investors, often, you know, historically any over the last decades, often there are these great thinkers. They're these great, they, they're the great readers. They're great. They, and I think part of that is because there's a natural, they're naturally want to think more deeply about history and about the world and about the, all the various social and political and economic currents that impact it. So anyway, I, so I, there's something about your, you being an investor and that informing the way you think about these things. Now, obviously you came at this in some ways, the investing came later, I think in your, in your own life, but, uh, but how, yeah. How do you, do you find that? Is that, is that part of how you think about your own model of investing? 
I became an investor in the mid nineties. It was actually at the same time when Elon. That's Musk, about the best time to become an investor in the last century. Yeah, <laughs> to <was>. record. <laughs> exactly. It was at the same time when uh, Elon Musk was in the Valley and uh, my husband and I, we, uh, we discovered we, Mosaic for the first time. We, because we're both computer scientists and AI uh, experts, we knew wow, sure. a new era is, is starting. Yeah, something's happening. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we started uh, actually right away. Uh, started a company, and uh, and uh, you know had two more part, two other partners, and it didn't work out because they didn't understand uh, what needed to be done to happen mm. in order to make that company successful. Which the mm. idea was, uh, you know, to you know, was a real estate. Um, you know, bring all the real estate online on the internet and so on, which was would have been one of the first. You know, yeah, it's uh, fantastic, it right? Failed, it's perfect. It failed because of the interior aspects. The collective, you know, the team didn't work yes. together, and the individuals didn't understand what needed to be done. So that was yes. It, it informed the failure. Actually, informed uh, uh, the model later. But, yeah, uh, sure. But what uh, what happened with? Um, you know how I uh, look at investing, and that was well. I had just ended up in in it, and I had to invest, and uh, we needed. So we moved to Germany after this failed attempt to start a company in the valley. Mm-hmm. We moved to Germany, uh, thinking, "Oh my God, we're going to bring the uh, uh, you know German companies uh, online." Yeah, only to right. find out that. Well, first of all, nobody knew what the internet was. No one was interested yet. Why they needed an internet <laughs> presence, you know, why would BMW or or Shell or, you know, big ones uh, need that? And they didn't yeah. have internet access. Yeah. There was no access, no understanding. Uh, and we showed them the exponentially growing curves, but uh, they didn't get it. And so we yeah. then uh, decided to uh, start the first internet service provider. So we needed to give people internet access before they could get a presence. And so yeah. that's when we went begging to friends, fools, and families, and we um, raised 200,000 um, marks at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started the first internet company that went public on the German stock, stock exchange, it was the first internet uh, stock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the integral uh, connected because I grew up very poor going to school without yeah. food in Romania. And yeah. all of a sudden, I, you know, we had this exit. And I couldn't understand uh, why, on one hand, you would make millions on Wall Street, on, and on the other, you had uh, you know, the philanthropy to give money at the end of the day or in the evening uh, to set off what Wall Street does wrong. So for me, that was uh, uh, a contradiction in terms. So I, when I came across the integral model, I knew, oh, my God, we need to integrate these. The, the, hmm. this, you know, we, so you shouldn't have to set off what for profit only as the only measurement paradigm does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fail to do for the society. So is that, you know, you talk in the book about, I've written down the five P's you talk about. Six. Uh, mm-hmm. Six, profits included, right? So uh, yeah. prof- is profit one of those? So profit, people, planet, prosperity, passion, and And purpose. the parity thereof. Equality. That's important. Parity. Okay, so parity's in there. Is profit not, so profit's not part of that. Okay, okay. So no, 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 no. The parity, okay. <laughs> the equality, that's, that's the first P, parity, equality. Okay. Parity. 
between people, planet, profit. You need financial sustainability. So you those need of, it. You gotta have it. Those of us who think, oh, I'm an NGO and I'm better than anyone else because I don't look for profits. Yeah. Meaning profit is has become like an insult instead of saying, yeah. oh, we need financial sustainability. Yeah. Um, and then for uh, uh, passion and purpose, because it's about me as an individual and self-actualization through my activity. So the yeah. interior aspects are the um, in yeah. there too in those six Ps. And do you look for that when you invest in a company or you do seed, seed rounds of investing or angel investing or the kind of investing you do? Do you look for that in the people you invest in? Do you, or do you, is it something you try? How, do you, how does that express itself in your own work? Yeah, that's exactly where um, Ken Wilber's uh, integral model comes in handy and because you know I, we invest around, around the quadrants. And so the integration uh, horizontal. Four quad- uh, just uh, for our listeners, the four, yeah. four quadrants are like the interior and exterior of the individual and collective, more or less, in, in, the, in the broadly set. Yeah, respectively, the integration of, uh, of the platonic va- values, the true, the good, and the beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so beauty, uh, environmental degradation is ugly. Uh, so if you do, do everything uh, to make money and create ugliness around you, it doesn't mm-hmm. work. If you mm-hmm. throw out the values uh, uh, overboard just to make money, it's, uh, you know, it hunts you and hunts, you know, your, your uh, uh, children and their children. So sure. the integration yeah. and they call rise yeah. anyways. So yes, in order to, um, to become successful as an investor, and I have applied, I developed a model which Ken uh, calls it also the next paradigm in investing, integral investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the manifestation of the six Bs, you know, takes various forms. Of course, it depends on the asset class mm-hmm. uh, that you uh, you invest in. And I, in the book, I demonstrated uh, mm-hmm. how you can apply that in early stage investing in the illiquid ac- uh, asset mm-hmm. class because it's mm-hmm. the easiest where you have, you know, two people uh, with a PowerPoint and a dog, <laughs> that's early stage investing. It's much sure, easier yeah. to show how to implement it because you look at yeah. the individuals individually, mm-hmm. separately, and also at mm-hmm. the team and mm-hmm. how their idea is being implemented. And you can really influence, um, mm-hmm. you know, to help them become successful. But in the end, we don't separate us from them because it's not us, oh, the investors sure. bring the capital. It's about us evolving together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, as you've, you have a lot of experience with this now and you've had some, you've had success, you've had experience in, in investing in various companies and working with this across, you know, no doubt your networks and, and, I'm sure you've gotten connected to a lot of networks where this is, you know, this, you've had an influence and people are appreciating what you're bringing to the table in the larger German investing scene. How has this been received? How has, how have you engaged with them? What's the, what's the general feeling? How are you, how, what's the response you've gotten? I have been, Writing, well, of course, applying the model f- that evolved over the past three, almost close to three decades uh, yeah. for a long time. So it's evolved and it became integral investing. It morphed, it had different names. But I have uh, published um, extensively 
in, yeah. in academic you know papers and conferences uh, mm -hmm. for a long yeah. time um, and Ken interviewed me for the uh, for various integral platforms so it's actually very well received within the integral community oh yeah sure no I believe but, that but <laughs> in terms of the uh, the application um, um, on the in in the business, let's limit. The, yeah, just the in the business larger angle. business community. I was just kind of curious how what what people's you know what you're, what in general are people curious or people just not interested or do you get resistance? Do you get yeah? Just what's the what's the feeling? It's um, actually currently um, really really taking off. Uh, people uh, and I ask actually I I I asked actually Kent's permission. Uh, to use the financial attractor in terms of returns on investment as uh, as the main attractor, because very early on when I began publishing and speaking at conferences on this, uh, I got attacked uh, both by the green meme and also by the orange meme. Green meme in this sense, of, in you know, the for sense of is progressive, most of the kind of progressives exactly. mostly. And you, so you got attacked by them because of the uh, money, and uh, because you're you're talking about profit, and financial stuff. You're a capitalist. Yeah, yeah. I'm a capitalist, and sure. uh, yeah. I so what do you have to say, right? stuff to make more money. Yeah. You're also pro technology. I, I yeah. you know, notably in the way that I don't, you know, much of the environmental movement is, yeah. is not. Yeah, uh, you talk a lot in the book about exponential technology, and you talk a lot about. And and that's also not something that you see as much in, exactly. in, so, in a lot of the environmental movement. Right. So I got attacked by the green meme. I got attacked by the money uh, owners, yeah. you know, the orange meme. And uh, very few understood the complexity and, um, right. you know, or at the integral level to see how it all belongs together. Mm -hmm. And so I thought... Um, <clears throat> I went to Ken and asked him, you know, like, is it okay? What do you say if I were to tell people that they can actually make more money if they invest integrally, you know, with people, mm -hmm. planet, mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, measurement criteria mm -hmm. in mind, mm -hmm. than if they don't, because they mm -hmm. reduce the risk, the mm -hmm. risk of the social, of the social, of the environmental and so on. And he said, well, yeah, way to go. So that encouraged me. Because mm -hmm. with him um, in, in support of my work, I knew that I could face all these attackers. <laughs> so that made it much Good. easier. Gave you courage. That's exactly. Nice. Yeah. That was uh, that was important. And um, mm -hmm. as you said, when you really look deeper in addressing such issues, then you find out very early on that it is like the integral model itself is out. It's in incredibly complicated. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there are very few people who, um, even if they cognitively understand what, what the complexity that is going on, they very often are dragged down by, uh, you know, as uh, Tristan Harris called it, uh, call it the Paleolithic emotional uh, yeah. brain. And I think that was... Technically, I think that may have been uh, like Stuart Brand or one of, I can't remember who originally said that, but I think Tristan used it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, well, in, in a recent uh, uh, interview that uh, uh, Joe Rogan- I remember who originally said that. I always try to originally source things, but yes. Anyway, Tristan, he definitely is a smart guy and used that. It's good. Yeah. The, 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 the idea that you, we have a paleolithic brain- 
we know, live in the twenty first century in a twenty first century world, sort of. Yeah. Well, he used the sentence, the quote, and which I'd like to quote for those who haven't. It's a, a yeah. Joe Rogan uh, a recent interview that he did with Tristan Harris and um, my dear friend uh, Daniel Schmachtenberger, where Tristan said. So that, Tristan is the. Um, just for for listeners, the Tristan, remember is that was the Center for Humanity Center for Humanity Technology. Yeah, right, and humane technology, and he's kind of become the voice of the concern about social media. He was the main figure in the movie, The Social Network. Uh, not sorry, sorry the, the, the dilemma, whatever the movie, the social dilemma, the social network was about Zuckerberg, the social dilemma on Netflix, uh, which was a you know hugely popular. So he was kind of the main figure in that movie, and he's become kind of the voice of that movement in Silicon Valley. So, yeah. And he's the former ethicist at Google. Sorry. Yeah, he was at <laughs> Google. I know that's like, uh, yeah. So um, to summarize again, with integral investing, I'm trying to address what exactly what Tristan Harris calls uh, the tension that we need to address today between the paleolithic emotions the um, institutions that are uh, mid, middle, uh, middle-aged and the godlike technologies. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. we want to really save ourselves and ensure the future of life on this planet, we right. need to address exactly that in a positive way because e- either one of the three components um, can drag us right. down and destroy life on the planet. And so my goal is with integral investing to um, bring the necessary capital to the table to create the abundance and the wealth for people so that uh, they feel safe and uh, Mm -hmm. can trust the process in themselves and uh, get a meaning in life through by using capital technology and uh, help them uh, implement their life's purpose. And so Mm -hmm. that's, that's what, what the intention is, uh, mm-hmm. and capital plays a key mm-hmm. role, yeah, and uh, business, yeah. and um, yeah. Well, I always feel like you know, we sometimes we don't appreciate. Like, I think of you as a young woman, you know, growing up in Romania, you know, struggling to get enough food, and and the and the kinds of concerns that were part of your family's context in that situation. And I think of you now, uh, you know, as this, you know, uh, you know. A, a woman who's, who's, you know, who has the capital and resources to have an impact on all these areas that you feel need to and could evolve as a society. And we, we have tremendous problems as a society, but we can impact those problems so much more powerfully from a place of abundance and wealth than we can from a place of struggling and suffering, you know, and uh, I know it seems like a simple point, but I think it's sometimes lost on people. And it's so, it's so critical that we, that we, that we, that we sort of, uh, that we, we go through this from a place of the success of modernism and, and capitalism, and we improve it and we evolve it and we go and we move forward, not try to be against it or try to throw it out. You know, it's so easy to throw out babies with bathwater, as you said. And, you know, that's something I care deeply about, you know, that we we go forward. We don't we don't regress. And one of the great challenges in society and cultural evolution, I would suggest, is that it's so it's it's much harder than people think to 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 go forward 
without, uh, you know, without, uh, without making things worse. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, so how to move forward, you know, it's easy to come up with great ideals about how society should be. You know, that's anyone, anyone can do that. And all kinds of people do that, but to be able to move forward in a way that builds on what came before and, and, and it may, it may correct things. It may address pathologies of the society, but it doesn't do so in a way that just makes things completely, you know, that, that is a lateral move or a regressive move that actually moves things forward. So, uh, so that's so important. So I appreciate it. And one of the ways I think people forget is that, you know, we need wealth and we need abundance and we need technology and we need these things that are part of the modern world. And yes, they've created lots of problems, but how do we go forward from a place of strength, not a place of weakness? And I think you're demonstrating that. Yes, and the place of strength comes in when, at the end of the day, we have food on the table for our children. Yeah. We have um, Maslow was right, right? Exactly. You, you can't go down the hierarchy of needs and still have right. Exactly, yeah. and the biggest problems that we have right now is the society's um, polarizing more and more. It has to do with uh, with the fact that uh, people go into fear because they have to. You know they have to struggle to put food on the table on the table at the end of the day, and so my work is to you know, geared toward exactly aggregating the necessary capital to empower people by creating jobs, and um, early stage investing contributes you know small to small and medium enterprises, and uh, you spoke before about. Um, uh, economics, which is studied, well, what most people don't do, don't know, is that ninety percent of all businesses are small and medium enterprises, mm -hmm. and uh, they actually participate. If you were to use some measurement of um, success, to between anything between fifty-five and eighty percent of the GDP in each country globally. Mm -hmm. And what the reason why I wrote this book is. Um, these SMEs are the least supported by the government, by the financial um, system. Uh, all mm -hmm. of these um, uh, packages that are being uh, put out, out by the government to support, you know, through COVID, mm -hmm. they don't end up in supporting a small and medium enterprises. This is mm -hmm. a disaster. And but the mm -hmm. private capital can uh, change that. And private capital does change that. And so integral investing actually through the de-risking model, because you can de-risk better your risk, mm -hmm. high-risk investment through this mm -hmm. integral investing model, through the five steps of what mm -hmm. I call the FETA de-risking model. You know, mm -hmm. it's easier to ensure the investor that you know, your investment is uh, is in good hands because you go through mm. many more steps than the traditional mm. ones. Mm. Um, and Wilbur helped me uh, inform mm -hmm. this de-risking. So that's an extremely important aspect, you know, in, mm. uh, and which, um, you know, we all speak about uh, crowdfunding and uh, people being able to give little money to help mm -hmm. companies. Sure, yeah. If yeah. they all use a better de-risking model that will help really ensure that those little investments make a difference. will yeah. uh, also be paid back. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, there aren't, you know, these crowdfunding platforms, they aren't uh, mitigated. Uh, people's monies and investments are not saved in the same mm -hmm. way. So That's interesting. Um, and I just, there's a few things there to follow up on, but one one is, I sometimes worry that, you know, in the name of like, you know, regulating 
in America, at least, you know, JP Morgan, we're going to regulate JP Morgan, we're going to regulate Amazon, you know, that we end up putting a greater, we forget that, like you said, so many of these businesses are small or medium sized. And we end up in, in the name of sort of trying to curtail big business in maybe a way, maybe it's good, maybe it's not, we can discuss that. But we end up putting an undue burden on small and medium sized businesses, which we don't want to do. We want to make it more free for, for all kinds of businesses to flourish at that level. And then you end up, even with public companies, sometimes there's such a burden on being a public company that no one wants to go public unless they're already big. And so you, you kind of, you start to incentivize the preservation of larger companies and you sort of undercut a little bit the small, medium-sized companies that are sort of critical for the ecosystem. Is that something you see in Germany or is that something you worry about? Germany is traditionally not as capitalistic as uh, the United States, to use this term, capitalism. Right. So yeah, the, sure. uh, the small and medium enterprises are actually uh, the backbone of the German success, yeah. if you so will. And of course, these are companies that um, most most of the times they don't go public. Uh, yeah, you know, of course, yeah, uh, yeah. But they actually are the most creative ones, and yeah, so they are the uh, delivering products to the big ones like BMW and, and sure, so on. yeah, right. So right. we don't really have that. Uh, it's only in newer times that um, entrepreneurs want to become unicorns and billionaires. Yeah, I don't mean the the public. I mean just the general regulatory burden. I mean, independent of being a public company, I probably shouldn't have thrown that in there. But but that's good. I'm glad that Germany doesn't have that issue as much, and the the you know, the burden on small and medium businesses. Well, the problem that we currently have is that uh, people have decided uh, to have less and less children. So uh, the small and medium enterprises, you know, the backbone of the German society are- There's no labor. Yeah, there is no labor and they don't, they have few children, fewer children. And what's happening is the Chinese come in and buy. Uh, They have already been very successful at uh, purchasing, which is good for them. It's not very good for the, uh, for the German economy or for the future because that needs to uh, evolve in the same way. And, you know, the trades, people are being uh, educated, you know, in trades in Germany. Not everyone has to go and have a university degree to know something. So uh, that, that needs to, the government here, in Germany needs to take care of it. Is that because, so you're saying that there's not enough labor or they're, or they're not able to pass it on to their children or the There aren't children, they don't have kids. They don't have children, so they sell out to the to the highest bidder, which at this point in history is maybe the Chinese or whatever in that way, right? Yeah, or they give the money to foundations and then um, it all dies out instead of, you know, helping the economy. Instead of the large. business continuing to generate, right? Yeah. That's interesting, right? So we need, we need uh, more, um, you know, people who come to work in Germany. And so we are very grateful for Elon Musk who decided to um, build his car. Is he coming there? Yeah. Yeah. He's um, building a Tesla. Plant. And, and he has right. a car. He's building a new one there, right? In yeah, Berlin? Tesla Where factory. Is it? Yeah. 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 Good. Um, well, great. Um, so what are you most focused on currently? Like, what are you investing in? What are you most excited about now? What's your, what's your current, what's your current, uh, your current obsession in terms of investing? Well, I, I am a tech, uh, aficionado. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I love it. And I truly believe that, uh, you know, if we really want to address uh, or implement the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries so that, you know, ensure the future of life, technology is key. And, uh, 
you know, technology that exists or, you know, that has to be developed. And digitalization, as, as COVID has shown us, has not evolved in the way it could have or should have based on the mm-hmm. available technology. So that's currently happening. So the impact of the digitalization is um, that uh, we need more and more data centers. Uh, and so there are mushrooms. Sure. And, yeah. um, and building a data center, it's like building any building. Uh, however, yeah. 30% uh, of the CO2 emissions come from construction, from cement, from materials, you know, construction materials, from steel, from aluminum, mm-hmm. and all the other materials. So uh, a couple of years ago, we came across a technology that um, would reduce the construction cost in data centers uh, by up to 50%. Construction plus maintenance because it cools with water instead of air. And Interesting. So we invested in that, and we are currently building a uh, it's a one billion uh, euros uh, project where we built a uh, uh, build a data center for Google in Frankfurt. So that's uh, where this technology is uh, is being applied. So that's a very very fascinating and interesting you know using technology to contribute to digitalization to yeah. Uh, you know, creating the future world at the, while reducing the CO2 emissions. So that's a, that's the perfect application of yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, as a Club of Rome me- member and technology mm-hmm. uh, aficionado. Um, another- and data centers are a huge part of our energy. I mean, it's just yeah. the burgeoning part of our energy usage. So exactly. just like with transportation or with agriculture, I mean, having an impact on how we power data centers is going to be a huge part of the future. We got to, you know, being able to decarbonize that sector is so important. So that's great. That's really interesting. It is particularly because construction is, uh, is uh, right above agriculture, uh, the least progressive industry that exists. Right. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. And so it's like the ultimate old economy industry, you know, yeah. no one's, you know, it's like, a, what do you do with it? Right, exactly. Well, it's, that's interesting. So it's not just the cooling, it, it's not just the, is it just the energy usage or is it even the way the construction happens? No, the construction. You need, because you itself. don't need yeah. the air to circulate in order to provide the cooling. So you need less room to circulate. So because oh, you, use, I see. Interesting. you use water to cool it. Right? So it reduces so, the footprint. It reduces the construction. So our future generations, they don't have to end up with stranded assets, you know, that they have to mm-hmm. demolish and so on, which, of course, it creates additional yeah. uh, CO2 emissions and others. Uh, yeah. So the entire process, uh, the construction cost is reduced by up to 50% and the maintenance cost by up to 90%. It depends on how you uh, um, also where the energy is coming from, you know, you know, we have projects also in Sweden where they use um, um, water, uh, uh, water, yeah, right, electricity right. from water and others. So it's uh, yeah. it's an ex- it's an integral project. So it's a very exciting. Yeah. Well, that's super exciting. I mean, those kinds of things you just feel when those things you see those things happening. You see, you see that you know that gives you confidence that we could you know that we can build. We can build out of this in a way that's uh, that that actually you know has a significant effect on CO two emissions and it's practical and it doesn't you know it doesn't require you know it just it's so it's so encouraging I think to see things like that. 
Um, in the other, I saw you, you, in your book, you meant, you talked about a lot of technologies. You talked a lot about exponential technologies, but you mentioned a few others. You, you talked a lot about the agricultural sector, which I think sometimes in terms of climate is a sector people forget about a little bit, you know, where they, we, we focus on transportation, we focus on energy itself, but agriculture is such a heavy user of, of energy and of, of, of the emission. It's a big source of emissions. And you talk about lab-grown meats and all that. What's your? Have you invested in that sector, or what's your what's your sense of that sector? Well, in uh, we're currently looking to invest in in satellite technology that is actually basically used uh, by uh, by agriculture big time, uh, mm. particularly because you know in uh, within the EU Commission we have the various projects you know that, that throw satellites in in the air and that. The, uh, whatever they measure is is free because it's it's um, it's uh, govern it's government money it's, it's our taxes at work and so that's mm-hmm. being applied and and we look into it. However, we are we invest in stuff that we understand. We don't really understand much about sure. um, agriculture and how that can Fair be applied. Enough. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but we look into into software that that does that, which we again understand. But another project yeah. that I'm uh, excited about is yeah. uh, what's called the Surgitent. Is uh, you know as the climate change increases and and the you know floods and winds and uh, destruction occurs, you need um, um, medical support in disaster areas. And so we invested in in a, what it's called, it's a tent that is uh, being dropped out of the, um, you know, um, the air, you know, from helicopters in disaster areas where uh, doctors can operate with, you know, in a sterile environment because it's a small tent that is put on on top of the... Well, that's uh, cool. It's like a mobile surgical unit that exactly. you can just immediately deploy. Yeah. So that's another uh, investment that we have That's done, cool. That's exciting. That's uh, the things exciting. that are interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. And um, our son loves uh, movies and movie making. He's a very talented one. And so we invested also in movies with message and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> social for social transformation, which is another. But, you know, that, I, I have uh, many, many over 40, sure. 40 plus uh, extraordinary yeah. investments. Well, what, what would you say, you know, you're someone who obviously you're based in Germany. You understand you're you're both an insider and an outsider to Germany in the sense that you didn't grow up there, but you've lived there for a long time and you lived in America uh, for a number of years, you went to Stanford, I believe, right? You lived in, you were in Silicon Valley. And so you understand America in some ways that, that most many people don't. Well, if you, if you look at the German economy and the, you know, and you're familiar with the European, you know, the EU and, and the German expression of that, if there, if there's something you feel like America has to learn from Germany and Germany has to learn from America, what would, like, is there anything that comes to mind is like, what, what, what does America most need to learn from Germany? And what does Germany most need to learn from America? Any thoughts about that? <laughs> I know that's a yeah, sort of surprising question. question. <laughs> Damn it. I gave you a bunch of questions, but I just thought of that one now. <laughs> well, uh, what I could, I could tell you what I miss in um, in Germany when I'm here and what I miss yeah. in America when I'm uh, that's perfect yeah give us that yeah so what I love love deeply love about America is the the uh, open heart um, the uh, embrace you know the loving society people love each other I mean the way I experience it I have lived in Silicon Valley and uh, I know we all have our issues but 
Uh, they're common <laughs> because of the technology that, you know, polarizes us. But, you know, in America, when, you know, when you're in the Valley and Silicon Valley, and yeah. you talk to somebody like you, and oh, I have this idea. People will say, "Oh, call this person, that Fantastic. person." Fantastic. Yeah, Do this. Yeah, go cool. for it. Yeah, you yeah, can get right, money. Exactly. And you know, just go uh, up and down. Uh, Everything's possible. Do it now. Exactly. So we don't have that in Germany, and that's oh, really, right. really. Uh, I miss that big time. You know, the openness, uh-huh. yeah. the uh, can-do mentality, the yeah. uh, youth. You know, in, in in thinking and the yeah, possibility, right. the human yeah. potential. I mean, it had to be born in, in the United States, of course. And yeah. uh, so that's something that I truly love. Uh, yeah. I mean, it changed my life. Becoming a, a student at Stanford, uh, exchange student at Stanford, changed my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I will forever be grateful to to uh, to America and to Germany yes. course, that sent me. Now, in terms of what I miss when, um, and that's what I miss when I'm here. Yeah, what, right. Um, what do you miss when you're in America I, about Germany? When uh, in the United States, what I missed was um, given all the abundance that and the rich, riches that this country has, mm-hmm. um, I think it could take better care of its own people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in communist Romania, but uh, I got better schooling than in Germany when I moved out here uh, yeah. for free. Great yeah. teachers. Um, yeah. School shouldn't cost anything. School is yeah. the, um, the insurance for every country. Uh, Absolutely. Teaching, yeah. Educating your youth is your insurance for future generation for the survival of the country for um, leading the world if you really want to do it. And of course yeah. that comes along with, uh, you know, taking care of people who need um, medical. Uh, so I think I had free medical in the country was, uh, you know, in Romania it was uh, poor, but it was free medical. We just yeah. went to the doctor and we got what, yeah. whatever they had. Uh, yeah. And that's in yeah. Germany the same. So um, mm-hmm. it's not free in that sense. It costs, of course, but uh, you cannot go to the doctor and you don't have to prove that you are insured because. Yeah, obviously it's not free in, in a larger yeah. sense, yeah. but there is a kind of, a, there's a, there, but the safety net function. Government in some, in takes some care of you. Yeah. Yeah. And so that right. these are the two things that um, could be, uh, you know, improved. And mm. it's about time. It's about time. Mm. I think what happened in in Germany is, you know, we copy the big brother, uh, the United States, very often. So the polarization mm-hmm. of the society has occurred, uh, you know. Yeah, has it gotten bad yeah, there? Just yeah. like like in in the United States. So that yeah. needs to, we need to do something about that. Yeah. It's that about values sense. and it's about, um, I mean, if no matter what religion you belong to, um, loving yeah, right. is important. And yeah, helping people, yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, and what is your uh, what is your uh, what's your own practice these days? What's your own? You were a meditator. You were a reader. You were a you know you were interested in philosophy and you read on spirituality. But what what do you what do you do? What's your interior? Do you have an interior practice that you depend on these days for keeping yourself aligned and, and balanced and in the right right uh, orientation? Yes, I meditate every morning between 3.30 and 5.30 for two hours. 
Wow, and, that's serious. 3.30 to 5.30. That's yeah. uh, two hours. That's impressive. That's great. And it's, uh, I, I meditate. It's the Mahamudra in the Mahamudra tradition. My teacher uh, is Tibetan. Dan Brown. Yeah, Tibetan Mahamudra. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, Dan Brown, right. Dan okay. Brown. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a student of his. Mm-hmm. That's what You've I practice. Retreat- You've done retreats with him? And- oh, ma- many, many. Yeah. Right. His yeah. health is not so good now, I guess. Huh? It's, it's, uh, I hear his health is, is yeah. uh, or he's Parkinson's, I think, right? He's Parkinson's. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, uh... But a lot of people have been inspired by him in terms of meditation, in terms of, uh, so, but that's a, that's a, that's a real commitment. How long have you been doing that? Two hours, two hours a day? Oh, I, again, I meditate. I've meditated for 40 years. Um, maybe not two hours a day, but the two hours yeah. a day, I, um, for, for 10 years or more. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's great. That's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's like, you know, brushing teeth. I have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I meditated for 2 hours a day at one point in my life, but I I don't I don't meditate that much now. So, uh so that's an impressive amount. Um Well, cool. Uh god, there's so many different areas. Uh what's your, you know, you've you've uh you've had this very unusual opportunity to invest in this technological explosion over the last 25 years, right? You started started in the mid nineties. Um, and we've sort of come through it. It's been a very unique period that you've been in, right? We've had this incredible new technologies that have been disruptive. What do you think the next tw- I mean, now we've had this kind of COVID moment and a kind of a weird moment in the global society that we haven't had before in this way. And we're coming out of it, or at least starting to come out of it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a very polarized society. Uh, some people think we're in a kind of a, a, a you know, a significant time of transition, uh, you know, either in, on no matter what scale you look at, how do you see the next 25 years of your career? Like, what do you, what's your, what do you hope to accomplish? What's your goal? What would, what would, could you look back 25 years later and say, in these last 25 years, I accomplished this. And that makes me really happy because that was, you know, that's what I wanted to do. What's your, what's your hope for that, that time period? There are several questions in your, uh, in your question. One is COVID for me, COVID is the collective wake up call for all of us. It's not about this pan, uh, pandemic. It's about the collective awakening that we're being called to uh, mm-hmm. to um, to make happen, and um, and it affects us in ways that we're not even able to foresee. It's not just about you know getting vaccinated mm-hmm. or not getting vaccinated is about sure. uh, yeah. how we show up uh, during the crisis and who do we become individually and collectively mm-hmm. during the crisis do we move in the negative in the regression or do we take the opportunity to grow and uh, overcome mm-hmm. uh, and face uh, the shadow sure yeah. So uh, to me, this is what is what it means. So it's mm-hmm. a great, great opportunity. And like all transformations, it's very painful. Mm-hmm. And so this is what actually COVID is doing for us uh, in order to add on to the pressure that the earth is already putting on to us by, you know, mm-hmm. trying to wake us up. But, you know, if you have floods in California or somewhere in Germany, you know, I may or may not, or you may or may not be compassionate or empathic with the people 
you know, in, in, sure. in question. But yeah. if you have to face COVID, a pandemic that could kill you, um, then you you are forced to wake up and take a stance and do whatever it is. So I think for me, this is mm -hmm. um, the universe waking up. So it's much more than uh, than just a pandemic. Mm. Now, when it terms it comes to the question that you asked me, how I see myself and what I'm doing, mm -hmm. I think, um, well, I am a scientist and. Uh, I believe that when I look at science, and I also, one of my many academic degrees is history. And when I look at, because I think if you understand history, you understand, you know, how people behave and where we're coming from and whether it repeats itself or we take the opportunity to transform. Mm -hmm. so a very important book that I highly recommend is The Collapse of Complex Society by Joseph Tainter. And um, in it, and as an economist, you will sympathize with that. He basically mm -hmm. looked at what made previous societies of, of, of um, if there were Mayans or the Roman Empire or yeah. other society, what made them collapse or the yes. Sumerians. And, and um, so basically... This, these societies have reached a level of complexity where the society itself could no longer finance the complexity of the society, the various dimensions of the society, and I, I cannot go into the details, in uh -huh. order to survive. So the expense of saving those societies, investing into saving whatever is falling apart, uh, led to the, the law of returning a diminishing returns. It couldn't no huh, longer be financed. So they collapsed because they financially couldn't hold it up any longer. Hmm. And Do you see that danger happening now? In, in, and that's in exactly what societies. I see happening right now. And we see COVID is actually increasing that pressure because we must Well, with finance. the amount of money that's been yeah. spent. And yeah. that's sure, that's a huge issue, right? Yeah. yeah. So we see how our current societies and, you know, in the 2000 years after the fall of the uh, Roman Empire near, near, we see many, many other societies emerged on the planet. So they're all struggling in the same way, particularly because we're, you know, we live in a global exponentially uh, growing uh, mm -hmm. uh, world. However, for the first time in human history, the collective mm -hmm. intelligence, you know, of the technological development mm -hmm. converges also, leading mm -hmm. to the law of accelerated return. So on one mm -hmm. hand, we have the law of diminishing returns where the old mm -hmm. structures are falling apart. And at the same time, we have the law of accelerated returns of exponential tech. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And where everything uh, after, and that's where the investing aspect comes into the game because, you know, financing the development of exponentially growing technologies needs, of course, capital. But after the yeah. initial investment, everything uh, dematerializes, demonetizes, democrat it becomes available at virtually no cost to everybody. So you have free. Uh, you know, for, for nothing, you have uh, a smartphone, mm -hmm. you have education for your kids, they can learn about stuff and, and so on. So these are two opposing developments. So one is diminishing returns, collapse, and the other mm -hmm. is accelerated, the unicorns, the um, billionaires, that and so on. So there is a lot of capital actually being created. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is where I see that. So you see that. 
so you see the hope of as being in a sense, if I can put words in your mouth, it, <laughs> you know, there's that, that there is this, uh, that we have this unique technological moment that can bring a different level of abundance and, 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 and that it also is, you could say is massively deflationary in the sense that it is, that it, it provides a kind of, uh, the opportunities across the board. And I mean, you know, some, you know, if you, if you read economic, you know, you know, economic historians that are pessimistic, it, they'll tell you about like the debt problems that, you know, developed societies have, you know, this incre- and that COVID has only exacerbated that and there's no way out of this, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll go on about that. And it's not that they're not, I, it's not that I don't believe that there is a problem there, but one of the historical ways that people only that get out of debt crises is, is either through, you know, through inflation or something, but the other way is through massive productivity, right? That's the other way you get as through massive technological productivity. There's been times in history when that's also been true. And I think you're pointing to that as a potential that this, this technological revolution that we could undergo in the next few decades has the potential for a massive productivity gains for, for changing society in ways that will, that will bring more people to the table that will, that will reduce the cost of all kinds of things across the board. That's the hope in some ways and simultaneously have a huge impact on some of the environmental problems that we, we have. I mean, that, that, that it could, it could do all those things. It, that's what, that's what you're, is that, is that, am I, is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, it's basically the interpretation. The premise for that is, of course, um, a mindset, a later stage of um, consciousness that needs yeah. to come into the play. And it's a leadership issue. There are few uh, who can embrace this complexity and, and address it in a way that is, you know, provides the integration of what needs to be integrated right now, because yeah. massive productivity is not going to come from humans that are basically, you know, we're, we don't have enough, but from robots, not from working, whatever. Not from working harder. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to, because it's exponential tech. So it's a different yeah. kind of animal that we need to learn to deal with. Yeah. Uh, now in terms but, of- But you're priority, saying, so it's not just the exponential tech, you're also saying- there has to be a mindset change. I mean, that's always a challenging thing because mindsets don't always change in the timelines we hope, you know, uh, and consciousness evolves on its own, its own scale. But, but, uh, but you're suggesting that, you know, we, we need to, we need to sort of shepherd this technological revolution in a way that's, that, that sort of point, you know, I, I guess nudges it in the right direction, not, not curtail it, not, you know, not, not get rid of it as some people want to do, but not fear it as I, as a lot of people also do, but to sort of encourage it, embrace it, but nudge it and, and, and make it, you know, and make sure it serves us in, in the way we want it to, I guess is, is what you're saying. Yes. And of course it's, uh, it's not a simple um, task. However, I no, think that those of, us, those of us who um, have the bandwidth and can afford the thinking need to, you know, Ah, number one, decide to get rid of the silos. Oh, I'm smarter than you. I'm not talking to you. I need to, uh, in, you know, we need to get together, get rid of the silos and go into a process of emergence where, you know, we're willing to have your ideas, my ideas, other ideas come to the table until we come up with the right, uh, with the right ones, whatever those are. And, mm-hmm. but the, the fact that within the next five years, five more billion minds are coming online gives me extreme hope. Mm. Uh, you mm. know that you know the collective intelligence will be able to 
um, come up with the right solutions. I, I just wanted to say one more thing because you asked mm-hmm. me where I uh, see myself contribute in the, the next yeah. uh, 10, 20 years. And uh, I think we need to be very, very clear. And I am, uh, again, need to emphasize the fact that uh, the science community is uh, is united in, in the fact that we do have, um, that the planet is fighting back and we do have uh, climate issues, not only climate, water, and, and so on. So we have left the safe planetary boundaries. And those of us who don't uh, would like to get deeper into understanding what safe and unsafe planetary uh, boundaries mm-hmm. is, I highly recommend the movie Breaking Boundaries with uh, Sir Attenborough and Club of Rome member uh, Johan Rockström. It's on Netflix mm-hmm. available. Uh, because it explains very clearly uh, what we have done to the planet and how um, what needs to in order to uh, leave the safe operating system in which we can all thrive and mm-hmm. what needs to happen in order to go back and support the planet. And so in yeah. terms of investing and business and economics, we need to gear those activities in a direction to help the planet go back into a safe operating system so that it can support us. Um, And so uh, there are five, basically five uh, major areas in which I am investing in order to make the transformation feasible. Number one is ensure the energy source uh, that it comes from Mm -hmm. uh, renewable energy. Number two, ensure food. And that's, you know, this is the priority we talked about, um, you know, that we feed uh, all of us on the planet. Mm -hmm. Number three, Make sure that um, we help those who need to, who are evolving like we did, that they do that in a sustainable way. Number five, we need to address inequality and uh, make sure that, you know, 10% of the, um, 1% of the population doesn't own 40% or more uh, of uh, the wealth in each country. And five is my favorite empower women Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. education because, the difference between an educated woman with uh, 12 years uh, of education and one without is four and a half kids. And so it's the carbon footprint reduction right there. And yeah, that's always there. It's always been the key to, you know, yeah. one of the great keys to yeah. helping the development of, of a sort of, you know, developing societies. Um, on that question, if we could take a few more minutes on that question, because it's a particular question I'm interested in. And I, I'm curious how you think about this. I mean, the energy issue, this is something I've sort of studied and, and thought about a lot. Um, and I always find it, you know, cause we've talked about exponential technology. Now, when you talk about renewable energy, like I'm very aware and I feel like, you know, right now we're, we're seeing this in Europe a little bit, you know, they call it, they're, they're calling it the revenge of the old economy, right? We're seeing it in America and Europe and which is that oil prices are suddenly, re- you know, I see this in the democratic party in America, right? I mean, you know, the democratic party has been saying you know, we need to get rid of fossil fuel subsidies. We need to stop drilling. We need to do all this. And now Biden's like, asking them to drill more and asking for oil from OPEC and panicked about high oil prices. And it's like, wait a minute, those two don't go together. So, so how, so one of the things I, I see is, is I see like a lot of people hopeful about the future of solar. And I see in the exponential technology world, they're always going on about solar is going to deal with everything. And then, so now like my, I'm, I'm all for, the ability of of exponential technology to over time create incredible opportunities. But 
I also am very acutely aware that that all depends upon battery technology going to a different level, right? And it's not it's not solvable now. And, and sometimes I, I, I worry that that creates the impression that we can just solve this. If we have the political will, we could solve this tomorrow. Sometimes people tell me that kind of thing. But it's a very complex problem. Uh, battery technology is not there yet. You need baseload power for our energy systems. And if you can't get it from batteries, and if you can't, you're going to use natural gas. If you can't get it from natural gas, you're going to use coal. Coal is still cheaper than other things. And I mean, my personal preference is nuclear. You know, that you in the moment you need nuclear. And but you know, look, Germany just got rid of all the nuclear plants and now they're building coal plants instead. You know, and that wasn't the plan. The plan was to go all renewable. But you see in America all the time, people closing nuclear plants and then put, saying it's going to be all renewable and then putting out natural gas and coal or not, not coal. Usually in America, it's natural gas, which is maybe better than coal. So, so like I, I'm all about investing in new disruptive technologies that can provide, that can transform dramatically our energy footprint. And if that's solar and wind and battery, and that's fantastic, you know, count me in. <laughs> and I'm, and I, and I think that all kinds of things are possible. And I would never want to say that those things aren't possible. At the same time, we have the reality of like the next decade, what we're going to do. And sometimes I see in the name of this ideal, people are actually making things worse in the meantime. Uh, and how do you think about, so how do you think about those questions? On one hand, investing for the future and the potential. On the other hand, not sort of, if we pretend now that renewables can transform our energy system in 2021, we're actually going to make things worse. So that's my, what do you, how do you, how do you think about that? I think that. Ken Wilber's integral model helps again uh, see how interconnected all these issues are, and uh, and they're not they're not simple. I personally have uh, been invested, and my husband started the company and, and led it into um, building a smart grid because if we want to move away from uh, fossil fuels to renewable energy sources. You need a smart grid that is able to mitigate uh, all the various sustainable energy sources at a time when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine. And as you said, battery mm -hmm. technology is key to that. And uh, of course, in the transition, you have to integrate to these renewable energy sources, um, coal, plants, water, uh, and so on and others. So to make sure that every time somebody turns on the light, that the light is there, which be, what, which is what people expect. Which yeah, means, again, for those who are providing the energy, that within they have only, a, uh, you know, within 15 minutes, they have to plan their supply of energy within 15 minutes every day. So it's a very, very complex and complicated um, yeah. uh, thing to do, and which means at the same time that we need to get all of these participants together around a table where the renewable and the fuel, fossil fuel energy sources are willing to talk to one another. In Germany, mm -hmm. when we started this company uh, that was uh, later uh, sold to the American market leader, uh, mm -hmm. they would not talk to one another. 
they were mm-hmm. actually boycotting each other because, right. oh, you know, <laughs> I've been doing this all my life for 30 years or whatever, how sure. long I've been there. Yeah. I own this, you know, uh, you know, it's government and it's mostly government who owns these things. And mm-hmm. because of the political short-sightedness and the four years, you know, they are not, you know, they don't care. So mm-hmm. everything that we did to develop a softer solution to mitigate, to, to create a smart grid was boycotted by the German government. We could not. Mm. And so as a startup company, you cannot afford to provide lobbyism for po- politicians and so on. So no, right, exactly. Fridays for Future has created wonders for them. They forced them to wake up because yeah. people are now in the streets. So I think that's what it takes in order for the left hand to get to talk to the right hand. We are currently not talking to one another. So everyone is trying, and because it's a free market economy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, oh, I have the money. I can build a power plant. I can build a, a nuclear plant. I just do it. You know, like mm-hmm. France is now building this micro nuclear plants and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they don't think beyond, you know, their own four years. They don't think what's going to happen. You know, I understand that we need a transition solution. But if you build a nuclear power plant for the next million years, you live in a poisoned, on a pl- poisoned planet. It's just as simple see, as that. I, I don't lie. I, see, this is where I disagree. I, I only, two, only two countries in history have decarbonized the electricity sector. And they both did it to nuclear. Now, I understand that there's issues with every energy source, but I'm, but I'm not convinced we can't do nuclear safe. No, no, no. What I mean with safe is not that they will explode. Yeah, no, I, think I know. the technology is pretty safe, but the waste. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have waste, but you can store it safely. That's what, all I mean. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, okay, we'll uh, agree to disagree. <laughs> well, uh, it's again for a million years is is poisoned. It's just like, it's, but see, I but, understand I mean, to that me, we coal, need like coal is solution. coal is poison. I mean, burning coal is poison. Yeah, of course. It, it you is. know, fossil fuels are poison. Yeah, uh, mining. You know, the stuff you need for solar for solar for for uh, you know a million solar panels or whatever a hundred million solar panels is produces poison. I mean, to me, you you have to look at this thing as uh, you have to look at every energy source in its entirety. Exactly, and That's then what you I can say. you know holistically. So, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And then we need because you know there is no perfect solution, and I hate this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't, that's the thing. There's no perfect solution. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we need a transition. And yeah. so we need to put everything on the table and see what is it, what does this cost, what does this cost, Agreed. Yeah, and what is totally. the best way that we all agree, because we are in dire straits. We need to come up with a solution. Yeah. And if yeah. nuclear um, is the best way to do it, well, be it nuclear until... Yeah. And, and maybe it's not over time. Maybe in 30 years, it's told we have something completely different, you know, and that, that we have a breakthrough. And I think that's possible. Well, uh, experts, and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not an expert in, in energy solutions, tell us that within the next 10 years, we will be able to provide uh, uh, sustainable, uh, renewable energy sustainably in terms of cost 
because the convergence of the uh, of the wind power plants, the photovoltaic and battery technology, it's converging. Where I hope your experts are right. I mean, I read a lot of energy experts, and, and also anytime anyone says ten years about anything, I always, I, I just, I, I always, I, I get suspicious. But I believe that it could happen. So I hope you're. I hope that's right. I really, I really do, and I, and I believe it. it, 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 it I actually think it, it could happen. I just think it may take, it may, we may, you know, 10 years might be a, a bit, a bit much, but, but that's great. I mean, God, you know, we need, there, one of the things I'm happy about, there's so much investment and attention going into this area. So I feel like we're going to find our way through, you know, if we, if we don't, you know, if we don't make too many mistakes in the meantime, you know, so yeah. like, <laughs> I think we're motivated right now. I think, yeah. uh, you know, all this uh, Fridays for Future and the young generation going and taking to the streets and so on has contributed to us waking up and understanding at least at the risk that we're um, willing to take if we don't act. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that topic. I'm I'm always fascinated by energy, so I appreciate you you speaking to me. Well, Tony Seba. Uh, do you know Tony? The work of Tony Seba. Yeah, where's that? Why is that? I, I yeah, that name I sound I, very familiar, and I can't place it. Where, yeah, it's yeah. it's rethink X. And uh, oh, okay, yeah, right. Go, uh, Tony Seba is, uh, he, you know, he's uh, he's an, a brilliant mind mind, and he's mm-hmm. done all kinds of research on this on uh, electricity and uh, future of transportation and materials and all of that. So he's an expert that I trust, and you could find all these well, uh, slides. The 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 disruption data. of the transportation market's going to be fascinating with self-driving yeah. cars and all this, the disruption of, like you say, lab grown meat and the changing of the agriculture industry is going to mass, you know, significantly change the the footprint of the agricultural industry in ways I think are very hard to predict. And those are like two of the biggest industries right there. I mean, so it's just, I, you know, I, it's, it's exciting to think about 30 years down the line, what the things that can be are going to be coming possible. And even, even from what we can see now, much less what we might see then. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally positive. I mean, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing what I do, do if I wasn't uh, convinced that we will find a way and that awesome. there is so much hope and that there is no reason to despair. So, and I, I believe, and this is what Wilbur does for me. And, you know, I know many people who haven't spent time reading and getting involved with his work, you know, say, oh, he's too in the brain. And it's not true. Wilbur is holistically integrally developed as you know and so i think if we drop into the heart and open it we will be able to come up with brain solutions with real solutions that will help us collectively uh, address the issues the grand global challenges that we have on this planet so and i think you know all that is necessary is available we just need the will political and otherwise to make yeah. it happen. And as long as we talked with one another and yeah. agreed to disagree yeah. and are as willing. As long as we not, we don't kill each other in the meantime. <laughs> exactly. exactly. No, I'm in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hear that. I think that's absolutely true. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, uh, and let's do this again in the future. And we'll, we'll see where, you know, see, you know, kind of track this trajectory as we move forward into the future and good luck with investing. And, and I'm glad that, you know, you're doing what you're doing, uh, you know, out there because we need, we need it. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to, uh, to be with you and speak with you and uh, be in touch with you. And I very much appreciate your brilliant mind and your work and, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful to know that uh, you exist and that 
together we can make the world a better place. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mariana. Take care. Bye. I want to thank Mariana Bozasam for joining me today on the podcast. And once again, the book is called Integral Investing from Profit to Prosperity. And you can also find her work online by going to aqualgroup.com. That's A-Q-A-L group.com. All right. And a reminder that you can always find out more about this podcast and follow it closely by signing up for my newsletter, which is also called Thinking Ahead. And you can sign up for that at carterphipscom slash newsletter. That's it for today's episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining me. And I'll see you next time.